Happy New Year, ladies and gentlemen. You got me again. Stuck with me again. You're like, again? I brought my cousin, and he's here. That's good. We're glad you guys are here. My name's Aiden. I'm one of the pastors here. And if it's your first week with us, if you're kind of jumping in with us this week, I'm glad you're here. I'd love to meet you. Shake your hand. Um, If you're one of the people that I wrote a uh, welcome note to this week on a postcard, I want to apologize. My handwriting is terrible. And I was like, I might as well say sorry to them for that. I'm glad you guys are here. You look a lot better than you did last year. I was getting nervous. I was getting nervous. It was looking tough. But new year, new resolutions. You guys are really shaping up. So it's it's good to be with you. Uh, if you if you are a, a New Year's resolution person, wish you my my best. Um, I'm glad the New Year's starting because 2018's New Year's resolution died quick. That didn't. It was quick quick descent. Last year was the year of Planet Fitness. Anybody else? Any anybody else? Yep. Pastor Adam like waved his hand at the first service. I'm like, you don't go. He's like, I don't go. But Planet Fitness is genius because Planet Fitness, they, they move into town and they, they're everywhere. Like if you watch the New Year's thing, everybody's wearing Planet Fitness hats. It's purple and yellow everywhere. And the thing about Planet Fitness is they're genius because they make everything so cheap. And they make it seem like it's only going to be this cheap for a couple days. And you're like, I got to sign up. And if I'll sign up and I'll never have to cancel it because it's only 10 bucks a month. So I'll just, I'll just cancel it next month and you just keep going. It's genius. My, so last, last uh, November, when it was rolling into the end of 17, and Planet Fitness was rolling the town, I said, Sarah, can I, do you think I can sign up for Planet Fitness? She's like, you do whatever you want. And this is no lie, you can ask her. Every time I talk, like I try to like lift weights once every two years, and every time I do, every time I get into that, like I talk as if I'm going to get too ripped too fast. <laughs> like, I'm like, now Sarah, I don't want to get too, she's like, I think you're fine. I think... I don't, let's not worry about that. We've got other things to worry about. But, so I was going to start going to Planet Fitness. And if you guys know Ethan, he's one of our interns. Ethan, he talks like this. Well, we're going to go to Planet Fitness together. And he signed, he lives in like the front yard of Planet Fitness. I think he just sleeps in his car and goes to Planet Fitness. But we were going to go, I had the drive from Norton. So I had a lot going against me. And so we, we went, I signed up in November, but I'm like, we won't start till the new year. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. And so we, me and Ethan started going, well, Ethan started going to Planet Fitness, and I would come make sure he was okay once a month for about four months. And so we were going, and uh, I would see him once in a while. I would do some machines. I don't even know what they're working out, what you're doing. And I'm like, am I supposed to be sweating? He's like, you are. You're good. That's natural. It happens to all of us. And so what happened was I went, this is no lie, over the course of about five months, I went four times. I went four times over the course of these five months. Pro tip for you, if you go, they have unlimited grape candy at the front. So basically, I paid $10 a month to get a handful of candy. It's really not a bad deal, if you think about it. Candy's expensive. But we were there one time at Planet Fitness, and we see some guys in the back that go to one of our other campuses. There's some interns and residents at another campus. And we see them across the room, and I'm like, hey, guys, what's up? Planet Fitness! And Ethan like looks at me, he's like, yeah, don't, don't be too cool. They're here every day. I'm here every day. They know you're not ever here. They're like, just, so that's how 2018 started. And clearly we haven't really picked up anywhere else along the way, but it's the new year. We're getting into new rhythms. We're kind of setting our new year's resolutions. We're kind of setting new rhythms of life. We're kind of trying to get back in shape and, and no matter what sense that may be. And so we're having this conversation over the next uh, four weeks We think it's important as we're jumping uh, into these things called good goals, bad gods. And that's about the reaction of God from everybody. They're like, what's that? Good goals, what? One of our interns, Ben, called it 
good goals, dad bods, which I thought was a good, <laughs> I thought that was great. But we're jumping to this conversation called Good Goals in Bad Gods. And so today what we're going to do, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, you'll leave known what we're talking about. We're going to kind of build the framework today of what uh, the conversations are going to kind of be over the next couple weeks. Uh, if you're a book person, uh, there's a book that we're kind of loosely uh, basing this off of called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. It's a great book. It's yay big. It's, it's a small book. Big print. 14 font. It's great. I'm a short, short uh, book person. But we're going to be kind of today, what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of set up the framework and then uh, end of the morning, we're going to jump into some scripture. So today I, I kind of want to set the frame and then we're going to open up uh, Matthew 6 and take a look at what Jesus would have us uh, know today. So good goals, bad gods. Let's define a couple things before we get started. First, let's define what we mean when we say goals. All right, we're just kind of walk through these things so we're on the same page. Goals, Google's definition is an object of a person's ambition or effort. It's an aim or a desired result, right? Goals are good things. I think about goals almost as milestones on a path to get us where we want to go, right? That they're kind of the milestones uh, per, as we pursue whatever, whatever it is that we're pursuing, whatever that is, goals kind of help us move along that way, right? That goals keep us challenged. They keep us moving forward. They keep us inspired. They kind of keep us focused. Goals, they're good things, right? Goals are good things. I want you to hear that because what's going to happen is someone's going to catch me at the door and be like, am I not, should I not be setting goals? Is that not what I, that's not, goals are good. Goals are good things. Goals are great. Goals are fine. Um, I, I think about this as we go into the new year, that a goal may be I want to be healthier. And so on that, on that path to be healthier, you may watch your calorie intake. You may exercise. You may get a Planet Fitness membership and keep it for the rest of your life, whatever it is. So, so you kind of make these little goals along the way to being healthier. I think, man, this year I want to give more of my time. I want to give more of my money. And so you kind of budget. These are the, the things I want to do. These are my little milestones, my steps along the path towards my goal, right? Goals are a good thing. I saw this on one of Jimmy Fallon's videos that someone on this Twitter thing, they wanted to read more. And so they're going to put subtitles on their TV, and that was how they're going to read more. I love it. I love it. But, but these, these, these goals are good things to get us where we want to go, and the goals get us to what is most important in our lives. So the goals are kind of the milestones, the pathway to what is most important. None of us make, like none of us walk into 2019, like I'm going to binge so much Netflix this year, it's going to be unreal. Like that's not a goal. Goals are good things, right? Nobody's like, this little spare tire, I'd like it to look like there's just a floaty under my shirt. That's my goal. Nobody makes those the goals, right? Goals are good things. Goals are good things that help us get to our desired destination. All right, we're on the same page. Goals, pretty simple. And then let's look at gods. What, what do we mean when we're talking about gods? We'll say it this way. Gods are the supreme or ultimate reality, a being or object believed to have more than natural attributes and powers to require human worship. We'll kind of say it this way. I think this is a powerful uh, way to sum it up. A person or thing, a person or thing of supreme value. I think about gods are, we can say, the ultimate thing in our life. That gods are the most important thing, as the definition kind of says, they're the supreme thing in our lives. That it defines our lives. It gives us our identity. It kind of says who we are, right? A God kind of defines our lives. It directs our lives. It, it gives us value. It gives us purpose. It kind of determines where all of our time, where all of our money, where all of our energy, where all of our thoughts go. Those would be the things that are the gods of our lives. That it gives us meaning, all right? That, uh, something that would be a God, something that would be of ultimate value, would be something that gives our lives meaning. 
And it's something that we would say, if blank wasn't in my life, if blank was taken from me, if blank didn't come true, if blank ceased to exist, I'm not sure that my life would have meaning. I'm not sure my life would have value. All right, that's kind of what we mean when we're saying gods. And as we're having this conversation, maybe those things are coming to your mind on what those things are. We would say that those things should be capital G, God, right? That, that Yahweh, that the God of the Bible, the God who's revealed in Christ, that he is the supreme thing, that he should be the thing on the throne of our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what we'd say. But that isn't always the case, right? That isn't always the case. And so, so here's kind of the problem. Here's the problem. When our good goals, when our good intentions, when things that are good, when our good goals become our God's, when our good intentions, when the good gifts of God, when they become the ultimate thing, when they become the supreme value of our lives, I think it leads to a couple of things. I think it leads to disordered priorities, right? When we put the wrong things on the throne of our hearts, everything kind of gets out of order. I think that we, it gives us a misdirected hope. I think we put our hope in the, in the wrong things, that when our God goals become our gods, we get unreasonable expectations. We have a, a shoddy foundation of our lives. We have an ever-changing target and we have a disappointing reality sometimes because I think that our hearts are meant to be satisfied by God and God alone, the one true God. Romans 1.25 says this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. And so we kind of cash in these good things, we make them ultimate things in our lives and in our hearts, even things that God has given us as gifts. And so we'll say it this way, you can write this in on your notes, there's not a blank for it. But this is kind of the premise of this conversation. This is kind of the overarching statement of everything we'll be talking about for the next month. When good things, when good things become ultimate things, our goals become our gods. When good things become ultimate things, our goals become our gods. This is a stupid easy example, but for instance, everybody would agree that candy is a good thing. You can, for a little secret, 10 bucks a month, Planet Fitness, you can get unlimited candy. So there you go. Purple Tootsie Rolls, but it's kind of the best. Candy is a good thing, right? I'm a candy connoisseur. I love candy. I, my dentist loves me because I love candy. Big fan of candy. But if candy is, is the ultimate food, if it's the only thing you ever eat, like you're, you're going to die, right? Like that's, just, that's a stupid example. That's kind of what I'm talking about. I think about this. I think about work, right? Work is a, a good thing. I think uh, being a hard worker is something that, that God calls us to. I think it's a, a good thing. We'd all say it's a good value is being a hard worker, right? I don't, I don't get to hire anybody. They haven't given me that access clearance level yet, but I get to make recommendations. I'm like, you should hire him and him. And so I get to kind of scout residents sometimes or interns. And I got to, some of our, our interns, I got to kind of track down and find. And one of the things that was value was their work ethic was kind of their grit through things, right? They were kind of gritty and we love that. They're great. And uh, this is Christmas time this year. We were getting into Christmas season. It was really busy. And we had this big rehearsal for something at nighttime. And I get a text from one of our interns, Ethan. He says, Garrett puking. Garrett's the guy who was leading worship, one of my interns, and I texted him. I was like, I wrote a question mark, like if it needed explained. I'm like, I need more details on this. He's like, Garrett's puking. And I came back and found Garrett in the intern office, and he just had a trash can, and his face is like gray as concrete. And he's just sitting there. I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> I'm like, are you sure we shouldn't like call someone? He's like, nope, we're good. And I'm like, that's my man. I love it. I love it. You know, he's got this grit to him. Like working hard is a good thing. We'd all agree it's a good thing. But I think a lot of us in the room, maybe wives in particular, would say that when work, 
when work becomes the place where we find our identity, when my work is where my value is, where I find my meaning in my work and in my work alone, if I didn't have this job, if I didn't have this position, if I didn't have the status at my job or the ability to do this job, then I'm not sure if I'd have meaning. I'm not sure if I had, would have value. That's not something we would say out loud, but we live that way, right? Or maybe here's another one. All the moms are going to slip my tires, and that's fine. My car is not great. Anyways, but for some things, some things, God gives us children as a gift, right? Gives us family as a gift. My wife is very pregnant. Actually, if I leave abruptly, just somebody pray and dismiss. My wife's going into labor. But we're about to have a kid, and I'm very excited about it. I'm very, very pumped. But I think sometimes when, when we have a kid, we have this kid in our lives and all of our identity and all of our, our time, all of our, everything is, if this kid turns out the wrong way, or if this kid goes wayward, if this kid doesn't love me the way that he's supposed to love me, or if my kid doesn't, li- if my kid isn't the perfect whatever, then I'm going to be a bad mom, or I'm going to not be who I'm supposed to be. My identity and my value is rooted in how good this kid is and how good of a mom I am. Sometimes that could be a case, and our good gift that God has given us can become a God, right? Our good goal can become a God. I think about this. Maybe somebody you're like, I, I love hanging out. I love having fun. I love a good time. I love to gram and Instagram things. I'm a fan of a good Facebook feed. But sometimes we're like, if this thing, if this job, if this relationship isn't super fun and isn't super exciting and isn't giving me all this joy, then I'm just going to find the next one. And these things, this fun, this pleasure can become our God, right? They can go from being goals to becoming our God's. And so this is what the Bible says. When these good goals, when these good gifts, when these good, hear me say they're good things. I don't want the moms grab me and put me in chokehold on the way out. But when these good things become ultimate things, when they become the thing that gives me identity, the thing that gives me value, the thing that gives me worth, the Bible calls this idolatry. And it's all throughout scripture. It's all through scripture. I know you guys are like, ooh, idolatry. I've been waiting for a good idolatry sermon all year long. That when I talk about idolatry, it makes you think of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, like you think of like a glass bird or something. But, but stick with me. That's, this, I think this is so important because nobody ever walks in. I think I've heard Dan say this before. Nobody ever walks into the office and is like, can I talk to a pastor? I just, idolatry is just really weighing on me. I need to get this idol. Like no one says that. But we all, all of us make these good things, these good goals, idols in our hearts. We all do. And, th- and this is all through scripture. The first of the Ten Commandments is kind of God's biggest hit, right? Ten Commandments. We've all heard of it, whether you've been in church or never been in church. The first of the Ten Commandments say this. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them and worship them. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. And as humans, it's our nature. It's our nature to do this. We make ultimate things out of the good things that God has given us. The reformer, his name's John Calvin, said, man's nature, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. Anything in our lives, anything can become an idol. Anything can take the place of God in our hearts and in our lives. The apostle Paul, he wrote a lot of the, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uh, planted a lot of churches, gave us a lot of the New Testament and the Bible. A couple thousand years ago, he's in Athens. Now, I know when people start talking about history, you're like, it's okay, cool, Athens. Everybody loves Athens. He's in Athens, Greece. You all remember this from junior year in high school, like Athens, Greece, it's the center of the world. 
He's in the marketplace in Athens. And the marketplace is the center of thought, the center of, of wisdom. It's kind of where religious people will get together to talk. It's where philosophers will get together to exchange ideas. It's where you go to sell and buy things. It's almost like the, the Facebook of the couple thousand years ago. Like that's what the marketplace was. It was the center of everything. And Paul is there. And this is what it says in Acts 17, uh, 16. While Paul was waiting in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And this is at a time where if you can zoom back to your junior year in high school where you learned about Zeus and all of his friends and things like that, these would have been the idols, these would have been the gods that he saw set up in Athens. And what's fascinating is sometimes we're like, that was a weird time when they worshiped gods back then, silly Romans back then. But I don't think that these gods they worshiped are too different than the gods that we worship in our culture today. Check this out. I think this is interesting. This is just a couple of them. But these gods that, that Paul is talking about, these, these Greek and Roman gods, I think aren't too different than what we uh, experience today. There was Hera. She was the goddess of family. She was the goddess of marriage. They would worship her. They would worship her for family and marriage. Aphrodite was the goddess of beauty. Dionysus was the god of wine and drink. Ares was the god of war and of power. I think this one was fascinating. Janus. Who wants to be the goddess whose name's Janus? You know what I mean? Like Aphrodite, Janus. Janus was the, she was the goddess of new beginnings. The God, how often, if just this relationship, if just this job, if just this open door, if just that door stayed open, then, whoo, the goddess of new beginnings. Or Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty. How much time do we spend on our bodies? These gods and goddesses are not too different. These goddesses and goddesses that were distressing Paul, that he was distressed to see in the city, are not too different than the ones in our culture. And so, so how do we know, how do we assess when a, when a good goal, when a good thing God has given us, how do we assess when that becomes our God? How do we assess that? And so we're just going to look at a couple things quick. You guys have Matthew 6 open in your laps. We're going to kind of be sitting there. If you don't, you can look at the screen with me. But how do we assess this? And we'll say it this way that goals become our gods when the temporary is my treasure. And we'll kind of unpack that. Goals become our gods when the temporary is my treasure. Look at what what Jesus says in Matthew 6. This is Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' first huge, big sermon where he covers so many different things. And he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. What, what is your treasure? Jesus talks about that. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. It sounds like we're talking pirate. It sounds like we're talking about Muppet Island. Like nobody has treasure boxes with pearl necklaces hanging out of them. But, but walk with me. The Greek word is this word thesaros. It's a place in which goods and precious things are collected and stored up. Our, our senior pastor of Grace Church, Jeff Bogue, uh, said it this way in a sermon once, that our treasure is our greatest life investment. That our treasure is our greatest life investment. And, and these, may be, these may be material things, right? That, that it's simple. What Jesus is actually talking about here specifically is money. 
that we have a big savings, we have a big job that offers us security in that. And so my life investment is my money or it's this dream house that I built or it's my pursuit of this house. It's a car that I've been trying to pay off. It's maybe the newest gadget. Maybe it's your status among people, what people think of you. Maybe it's your good morality and what you think of yourself. Maybe it's this career that you worked from the bottom. Now we're here. You worked your way up. You went to college to try to get this amazing career. Sometimes it's our achievement or our body, our looks, our skills, our talent. What's the thing in your life? What's the treasure that is your greatest life investment. Your greatest life investment. Because this is what Jesus says. This is so simple. Some of you have heard this before. He says, don't store these things up. Don't make these temporal things your greatest life investment. (laughs) I think about this very plainly. I'm a big Cavs fan. Why does Jesus say this? Because everything changes real quick. You guys remember two years ago? It was great. You guys don't know what I'm talking about because no one watches the Cavs anymore. The Cavs are terrible. Just like that, everything changes, right? Why does Jesus say, don't store up for, your thing, for yourself treasures here on earth? Why does he say that? Because everything so quickly changes. It fades away. It breaks. The batteries run out. They rust. What the passage says is don't store up for yourselves treasures here because they get eaten by vermin. My wife and I, I always talk about this. It's like my kid. When I have a kid, I guess I'll talk about him. But right now I talk about my house because this, we got this old house. It's awesome. This is no joke. I told the story last year literally squirrels ate a hole in my roof. They ate, did you know squirrels could eat wood? Did you know they eat holes in houses? Literally, just what the Bible says, the vermin ate my house. The Bible, the Bible has never been so real to me. This treasure, this gift, this house was eaten by squirrels. That's where we're at. That is where we are at. But Jesus is so, so clear about this. In, in Timothy, uh, Paul writes, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. I think that these treasures, you may be here, you're like, I'm not a real materialistic person. I'm not really, that's not really me. Our treasures aren't always material things. It's not just some guy trying to get rich with a Lexus. Like that's not the picture, right? I think sometimes our treasures, our greatest life investment can be emotions, they can be experiences, they can be feelings that if I could just feel this way, if I could just go these places, have this Instagram account, have these feelings, that's my greatest life investment. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, don't store up for yourselves these treasures on earth, put them in heaven. Is Jesus just a killjoy? It sounds like just something a hippie would say. Do it there, not here. Don't store up for yourself stuff. It's not what Jesus is saying. It's so much bigger, it's so much richer. Look at what Peter says in First, in first Peter one, three through five. He says, praise be to God, or, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. He's given us birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. That Jesus, do not, do not misinterpret what Jesus is saying here. He's not a killjoy. He's not like, don't have fun. He's not the trench bolt. He's not just like, don't do fun things. It's not what he's saying. The reason that Jesus is saying, don't store up for your treasures here on earth. Don't get all your nice stuff and spend all your time and all your money and all your energy and all your thoughts and all your emotions and all your time building up these nice things because they're gonna fade away. They're gonna die. Instead, as Jesus is building his kingdom full of the ways of Christ, the people of Christ, he's saying, invest these things in an eternal inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade. Things 
of the kingdom. Does he say this because he's just a killjoy? No, this is what he's saying. This is what I think Jesus is saying. He's not saying that I wanna get rid of your passions. I wanna get rid of things you like. You shouldn't have them. He's saying that the things that we spend our time and energy on, these goals that become gods, these treasures are too small. He's saying they're too small. They're too weak. Don't put all your time and energy in this. Look at what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go around making mud pies, mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. This is, this is fascinating. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus is saying, don't put your treasures on earth. Put your treasures in things of the kingdom, things that are going to outlast us, things that are rooted in me. This inheritance is stored up in heaven for you. Put them in things of the kingdom. That when our treasure is temporary, when our treasure is in the things of this earth, our goals become our gods. And, And we all know this. We teach our kids this, that the treasures that we have on the surface, they always seep into our hearts, right? We all know this. I'm not telling you something you don't know but we are going to look at it because it's super important. Super important. We'll say it this way, that goals become our gods when the goal, when the good goal captivates my heart. That goals become our gods when the goal captivates my heart. Look at what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. Some of you guys may not know this verse. Some of you guys may think it's from a nursery rhyme. Some of you know it's Jesus, and it's just, you've heard it a thousand times. Just read it again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That all these things on the surface that we talked about, money, cars, status, all these things on the surface that we pursue, always point to a deeper source idol in our hearts. There's a guy named Eric Geiger, I think is his name, and this is kind of a common framework around this conversation, but he talks about these idols as surface and source, right? That we have idols on the surface, whether it's money or it's relationships or it's opportunities or it's whatever it is. We have those things on the surface, but they always, always point to a greater idol in our hearts. They always point to a greater idol at the source. The surface always leads in to the source. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this for a second. I think that he sums up these sources in four, four different source idols is what he calls them. That all the things on the surface point to four uh, different source idols. And again, this isn't original to me. I wish I was this smart, but I am not. But I will offer it to you because I think it's very relatable. So walk with me through this. See if you can find yourself in here. If you're someone who, who pursues a status and a good job, and you just want influence, want everybody to think that you're so wise, you want people's, you want them to think you're smart, you want them to think that you're, you're strong, and this desires for these things, you may, you may, if you have this longing for influence or recognition, have a source idol, have a source idol of power. That, that in our hearts, the thing that we want most dearly, the thing that give us value and identity is having power, right? Power over situation, power over people, power over the systems we want power, right? Is, is, is that you? Another one of these uh, source idols that he talks about is if on the surface, 
On the surface, you're one of those people that everything has to go the right way and everybody's got to be eating the right amount of things and taking the right amount of pills and everybody's got to be behaving the right way and so everything's got to go smooth. Look at the plan. If you're somebody who has a longing for everything to go according to your plan, you may have a source idol of control. That you may have this source item of control. Man, everybody like went to write down that one. Everybody's like, oh, wow, Okay. But you may have a source idol of control. That's the thing. If I I can just get control, if I can just get control, then everything will be going great. If you're somebody, and I feel like I, this is totally me. I feel like I'm four for four under this thing. I feel like I'm just golfing perfect. But if you're somebody who you're like, man, I just, I want the newest device and I just want an easy situation. I want to avoid relationships that are just causing me trouble. I want to avoid tough circumstances. I just want to sit back. I don't want to conflict. I just want everything to go smooth. I want everything to go my way. If you have this longing for just pleasure all the time, you may have a source idol of comfort. That if you can just find a comfortable scenario, if you can just be in a comfortable situation, then it doesn't matter what else happens. That's the ultimate thing in my life is that things are just smooth and that I'm just comfortable. And the last one here is if you have this, this need for people to think of you a certain way, to think you're very moral, to think you have a very good status, I just people's opinions matter and I want to please people and I want them to think highly of me, to this longing to be accepted or desired, you may have a source idol of approval. So power, control, comfort, approval. Anybody else four for four? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> I, feel, I feel so convicted as I look at this. And as we talk about this, I don't, the last thing I ever want is for us to come in here and be like, here's some things that we should shape up with. Like I am not Planet Fitness. Like this is not, I, I don't want us to just come in and be like, Here's the things I could do better. Why are we having this conversation? Why are we doing this series? Why are we having this conversation today? Why do we go through these source idols? Why does Jesus say where your treasure is there, your heart will be also? Why is that important? Because the heart of the gospel, the storyline of the Bible is that God is chasing after the hearts of his people. That God wants your heart. It's the storyline of scripture. It's the storyline of the gospel. God wants our hearts. He wants the hearts of his people. Psalm 51 says, you don't desire a sacrifice or I'd offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. That God doesn't want you to throw five bucks on the plate so you feel good. He's like, keep it. He doesn't want your perfect church attendance. That's not what he's after. He's after your heart. That's why he calls for a joyful giver. That's why he says, sing, sing gladly. That's why he calls us to serve. He doesn't want these things to become idols in our hearts because God wants our hearts. He's pursuing, chasing after our hearts. And here's the truth. The answer to all these things, the answer to all these things that become idols in our hearts, the power, the control, the approval, the comfort, all these things that we chase after in our hearts are found in Christ. They're found their completion. They find their true meaning in Christ. I mean, look at it with me. In the gospel, in the gospel, we find our power in Christ. Acts 17, the same passage says, for in him we move, we find our being. For in him we live, move, and find our being. We find our power in Jesus. And not in the way that you might think. This gets messed up all the time. We're like, if I become a Christian, then I'm going to get power and these things are going to go my way, right? Look at church history. The time where everything got real fumbled was when the church grabbed power over these things. It was a real dark time in church history. Read about it. You'll hate it. 
That, that is, Christ is not, if you believe in Jesus, then you'll get power. No. If you believe in Jesus, put your trust and faith in Jesus. He is our power. You know what Jesus did as God? That he who was God, that he humbled himself, that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But Jesus humbled himself. He laid aside his power in order that he might walk and be one of us and die in our place. And he calls us as believers in the gospel to lay aside our power, to take up our cross, to trust him. Our power is found in Christ and he calls us to lay aside our worldly power, to trust and find our power in him. That through the gospel, we are free to give control to Jesus. That the gospel calls us to surrender control to Christ because he needs our control. No, because you don't have it anyways. You know, when you feel like you're like, if the kids just eat their vitamins and if nobody moves, we drive slower than 60, we do this, everybody just don't move and we'll be fine. And then in a second, we realize we have no control. Some of you are painfully aware of that, aren't you? That we don't have control. You may feel like you do, but you don't. But we have a God who is sovereign over all things, a God who is in control and not only that, but the God who is in control, the God who is sovereign, is a God who made himself known, is a God who walks with us, a God who dwells with us, and we find our true comfort in Jesus. We find our true contentment in Jesus. That all the comfort that we search for in this world is just going to numb us, right? It's just numbing us from the real things we have to deal with. It's just distracting us from the real problems and the real pains of our lives. True comfort is found in a God who meets us in the dirt, a God who walks with us, a God who understands us. We talked about this all Christmas season, that our true comfort is found there. And if you're someone who, someone who has an idol of approval, and I think about this, the Bible, that we have right relationship with God, that God is holy, that he's created all things, that he sustains all things, that he holds all things together, that he has no beginning, he has no end, he's like a game of Monopoly, that God is above and all through all things. And that same God, because of Christ, because of what he has done on behalf of us, that we can stand before God, and what the Bible calls it is we're justified. It means made righteous. We have right standing, we have right relationship with God not because of how good we held it together, but because of his goodness towards us, that we have approval through Jesus. That all these things in the world, that we try to chase these things down, that we try to find all these things on our own, all these powers, all these controls, all these comforts, all these approvals, that they're found in Christ. All these, all these idols, all these good goals that become gods are gonna make terrible gods because they're gonna let us down every time, right? Our hearts were made to be satisfied by Christ. This, this passage kind of finds its, its ending here in verse 24, Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. If you will hate one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve both God and, and here Jesus is talking about money, but you can substitute this for anything. You cannot serve both God and the easy life. You can't serve both God and my biggest ambitions to make me a great person. You can't, you can't chase both God and this little Disney romance or God. And, you can't, because it's not talking about doing both these things. It's talking about you can't serve both. You can't make both the ultimate things. Both things can't be at the top. Both things can't be on the throne of our hearts. Why? Because what will happen? 
talk to people all the time, is that we have these two gods that we want to follow Jesus, we want to trust Jesus, we want to hold to the goodness of the gospel, but we also really want this relationship. We really want this money. We really want this opportunity. And what happens is when these things don't pan out, when these things don't work, when these things let us down, we get mad at God. We get, God, why didn't I get this other God that I really wanted? This God was going to fix everything. This job or medicine or opportunity or relationship was going to fix everything. Why did you let it go? And God's like, you can't serve both. Not because he's some mean God who wants attention. That's not it. Because he knows that all these things are going to let us down. They're going to fail us. That all these things, we're not going to find our approval in these things. We're not going to find our power in these things. We're not going to be able to control these things. We're not going to find comfort in these things. We only find them in Jesus. That's what we sang about today. God of endless worth tearing down my idols. Sometimes it hurts. I think most times it hurts. When God pulls those things away, all you parents know this. Kids like, give me these bowl of marbles. You're like, let's not do that. Let's not, that's not a good thing to do. You all know this. God takes the things that are bad for us, replacing them with himself. And I, if you're like me, you're like, man, I'm, I'm golfing four for four on these source idols. Like I am aware of these things in my life. And I, what, what do I do? What does it look like? I think of a, a line to a famous hymn. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Like we all, all of us, myself above most of us, have this tendency to always be redirected towards these idols in our lives. We're all, this is our natural, uh, natural state is to go to these things, right? And God's constantly calling us back. That is why through the gospel, Jesus gives us a new heart. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new identity. He gives us a new life. Jesus is making a new people where the gospel is at our heart. And the truth is, is that we're walking on this earth, right? We all painfully know this. Paul says, I, I don't do what I should do, and I do what I don't. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but we never do the things that we want to do, right? That we want to follow Jesus, but I keep doing these things. That's the struggle, right? I want to put Jesus on the throne. I want to put Jesus at the center, but I'm always called to these other things. I'm always distracted. I always think that these things are going to make better God's that's why the Bible calls us to daily keep in step with the Spirit, to daily be reminded of His goodness. That's why when we gather, that's why we sing the songs that we do, that we're reminded that He is the center, that we're reminded that He's great. We together as a people are being reminded of this. That's why we give. Newsflash, like God doesn't need your money. He's going to be fine. Like He's going to be great. He's doing well. God's doing well. Alive and kicking. Doesn't need your $10. But he wants us to give because he, he doesn't want that, that money to become an idol in our heart. That's why we serve one another. He doesn't want your preferences and the way I want things to become an idol in our heart. That as we gather, we're laying our lives down just as who? Just as Jesus. I ask myself this as I walk through these things. Do I, do I believe, do I trust that Jesus is better? Right? Like, do I believe that the approval that comes from God is better than the approval that, that comes from others? Like, I may know that it is, but do I believe it? Do I believe that his grace is sufficient? Do I believe that my, my true comfort of all things is found in him? That Jesus doesn't give us, here, here's a little, just these things, your life may be a little bit better. He doesn't give us like an updated life. He gives us a new life. 
He gives us a new identity. He calls us into a new existence. I love what Paul says in Philippians 3. This is my prayer for us as a church. This is a prayer for, for myself is that, this is what Paul says. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more is that I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I now consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That when we see the grace of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus, that all these good things, all these things that are fine, that are good, they pale in comparison. Compared to knowing and communing with and walking with Christ, these things, the earth, these gifts, they're good things. They're things that I'm called to steward. I want to steward my family, steward my body, steward the world around me. I want to take care of these things. I want to glorify God with them. I don't want them to become the ultimate things. That Paul says, everything I once considered gain, I now count as loss compared to knowing the goodness of Jesus. And if you're here and you're not sure what you believe about this whole God thing, my prayer for you is that, that he may crash in your life in such a way that you may taste the goodness and beauty of Jesus. And if you've been in church since you were like a day old, my prayer for you is the same. That Jesus would crash into your life and that you might taste the goodness and mercy and grace of Jesus. Will you guys pray with me this morning? God, we're so thankful that you are over all things. We're so thankful that your grace is sufficient for us. Jesus, if if my friends are like me, we, we cling to so many things that if they they weren't in our lives, we're not sure if we'd have meaning, we're not sure if we'd have value, we're not sure if life would be worth living. Jesus, I pray that through your grace alone, through your strength alone, by your mercy alone, that you might help us to put things in their proper order, that we might keep in step with the Spirit, that we might keep you on the throne of our hearts, trusting your grace, trusting that comfort is found in you, trusting that our approval is found in you, trusting that we can lay down the power that we gain on this earth because you did, and that control is yours and yours alone. Jesus, help us as we go to trust you. We cannot do these things on our own. We can't just clench our fists. And Jesus, we need you to tear down our idols. We need you to make you the center of our lives, Jesus. I pray that you might call us to yourself. Every day, every hour, Jesus, call us back to yourself, to your goodness. We are prone to wander. We're prone to leave you, Jesus, but you are a God who chases after our hearts, a God who pursues our hearts. And so we praise you because of that. We gather because of that this morning. Thankful that your grace meets us where we're at, not where we ought to be. It's because of Christ alone that we pray. Amen.